Hi everyone, uh, Dave here. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, now we've been pretty much blessed with uh, goalkeepers, both at Chesterfield Football Club and on the podcast. Already had Bob Wilson, Steve Grisovic and Chris Marples on. And with our latest guest, we fill in the last two decades so that we've got a good look at goalkeeping kind of from the 1960s onwards at Chesterfield. Uh, our latest guest is the incredible Tommy Lee. Now Tommy was with us for a good 10 years in which time he won the league title with both uh, John Sheridan and Paul Cook, uh, and ever-present in both of those seasons. And we also had cup wins as well. Uh, it was good to have a chat with him about the people that he battled uh, the number one slot with, uh, who he thought there was the real underrated goalkeepers that he played with uh, at Chesterfield, uh, and also Ollie Soderberg. <laughs> and it was also good to have a chat about all things Saltergate and B2Net and that whole move and obviously what his uh, sandwich of choice was at Linda's Sandwich Shop, which was a rather shocking answer, I must say. Um, as always, we are at Spire Legends on Twitter and Legends of the Spire on Facebook. Uh, do get in touch uh, if there's anyone you'd like to see. And uh, if you like, comment, subscribe, rate, whatever it is on whatever podcast platform you listen on, that would be super too. Uh, so here we are with the latest episode of Legends of the Spire with Tommy Lee. If we go to the start of your career, you were what Oakworth Oakworth Juniors, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started uh, playing football. My brothers, I've got three brothers, uh, and then you get into a little bit of grassroots. And my dad was the the uh, manager of the team, along with my best friend's dad. And I suppose that's where it started. Um, didn't didn't start as a goalkeeper. I used to play uh, outfield quite a little bit. Uh, and as things transpired, I ended up uh, in goal. Uh, I love Man United, love Peter Schmeichel. My dad was a goalkeeper, so it sort of made sense. Um, and I just enjoyed diving around a little bit and, and getting dirty and, and, you know, try to copy Peter Schmeichel. So I suppose that's where, yeah, Oakworth Juniors and, and my love of Peter Schmeichel and, and Man United, really. So you, so you moved into net out of choice. You weren't, you weren't put there. Yeah, partly. I mean... I used to fall out quite a bit with my dad on the touchline. Uh, and I think it, it, it was sort of the case of, well, if you're going to argue with me on the touchline, I'll, I'll stick you in net. So then we, we don't fall out with each other as much, obviously, obviously in, a, in a friendly way. And yeah, that's how it started. And, and I wondered, because I mean, for, for years, you might not be aware, but for years, everyone's kind of quibbled over your height. <laughs> how, how tall are you? Well, I'm six foot one. So, yeah, the Wikipedia page is right. Um, I'm about six one, I'd say, <laughs> on my tiptoes. That, that was one of my key questions. So, there you go, that's one answered. <laughs> um, because this it's kind of funny, isn't it, with goalkeepers? You do get them, I suppose nowadays, goalkeepers start off at like six four upwards, don't they? They're all, all massive nowadays. Yeah, I think it is changing slightly. I think the average height of the Premier League goalkeeper has come down slightly. Um, and I think that's probably thanks to the likes of uh, Ike Casillas, um, more recently, uh, David Rayo plays at Brentford. I think Edison and Joe Hart are around 6'2", 6'3". De Gea is 6'2", 6'3". Casper Schmeichel, similar. Mm. Uh, so I think the, the, the position has changed slightly in the profile. I think distribution and 
how a goalkeeper is with the ball at his feet is as important now as um, the height. I mean, the question I get asked now as a coach is, number one, how tall is it? But then number two, what's it like with the ball at his feet? So I think there is there has been a shift slightly, but it is still a massive asset for a goalkeeper. Um, you know, I wish I could have been two inches taller. I suppose I'd have probably... I might have had a, a, a not a better career, but I might have played at a higher level if I was a little bit taller. Yeah. Well, I'm six five and I don't fit on trains. I don't fit on planes. <laughs> so you're doing all right. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> and then you ended up at Man United, didn't you? So it was 2002, was it? Yes. Yeah. So I played. I played with my uh, my county team. So I played with Bradford Boys, and and that's where I was scouted by Manchester United. They approached my dad. They watched a couple of games and. Um, you know, being a Man United fan, it was like, wow, Man United. And I went, I had a couple of trials and, uh, yeah, I think I was 12 when I signed um, registration forms within the academy and I was lucky enough to be there for, for almost nine years. Hmm. Are your family Manchester United fans though? They're not, are they? Yeah, yeah, we, oh, they we are. all are. Yeah, my dad was a Man U fan. Um, and, I mean, my memories from my childhood are pretty much watching... Uh, Man United VHSs in the morning in school holidays and then down in the field with my brothers try to emulate what we'd seen. So we had the the, the first title winning uh, VHS and then obviously they won the league through the 90s and then the treble video we used to watch religiously. Um, and yeah, massive Man United fans and we still are. And... and uh... And you got the quadruple, what, 2005, was it? Yeah, I mean, I, I was injured uh, quite for quite a lot of that. I broke my wrist at 17, fractured my scaphoid, and that, that was probably an 18-month injury. So I played in that season, I maybe played 10 games. Uh, I was sharing game time with Tom Heaton at the time and Luke Steele, uh, and I think uh, Ben Foster might have played a few games. So there, there was a lot of competition. So we, we did win the quadruple, but... Uh, I did play a massive part in in much of that season, and that and you 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 did a good article that I read about how many painkillers you took throughout your career, like mm. thousands, wasn't it, through various injuries? Yeah, I mean, and I spoke to Drew Talbot, who was pretty much the same. You know, the amount of stuff that he had to put up with when he retired and stuff was just incredible. Really, you you kind of did have that throughout your career, didn't you? Yeah, so. I had, I had a, a non-union of a scaphoid fracture in my wrist. I mean, it's still fractured today. And uh, quite early on in that injury, the, the specialist sat me down probably as, as an 18-year-old and said, listen, uh, the injury you've got isn't going to heal. We've done everything we can. So it's a case of you find another career or you just put up with the pain. And uh, the one thing that helped me with the pain at the time was diclofenac. It's an anti-inflammatory, it's widely prescribed and um, I, I took it and I got used to taking it and it did the job, it, it numbed the pain a little bit and mm. you know, the, the science at the time probably wasn't as well known with non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and the damage it can do but um, I was taking three, four a day um, at Man United then after I left just to get me through games and um, it was just it was just a norm. I wasn't alone in that. A lot of players needed to take those those sort of uh, 
drugs, if you like, to get through training and get through games. And, you know, I got to a point probably early 20s where they stopped working a little bit. So I was in quite a lot of pain. And I got some good advice off a doctor at the time who said, your body's probably forgotten how to um, use its own anti-inflammatory mechanisms, if you like. So I stopped taking them a little bit and I, I reined it back in. And fortunately enough, I got to a point in my career where I could get away with taking maybe one, two a week. Uh, and that did the job. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a difficult time, you know, being a young goalkeeper. Obviously, your hands are massively important in that. And every time you're making a save, you're getting pain. And, and it was difficult, but uh, I managed to get through it and I'm glad I did. And then you end up with a move to move to Macclesfield. Um, and obviously, everyone knows you from Macclesfield from playing against Chelsea, um, of which, I mean, an eventful game for you. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of got what injured making a save from Solomon Kalou didn't you and then you got sent off <laughs> yeah it was it was yeah do you know what it was a really good experience the first time I played in front of that many people I think it was a full house it was Mourinho he played all the big names we were we were bottom of the league pyramid if you like at Maxfield Paulings came as manager we were struggling at the time and they were top they were champions um, and for 46 minutes, it was the best day ever. We were one all at half time, I think it was. Um, we'd done all right. And then uh, it was Shevchenko, obviously. He's knocked the ball around me. I've come flying out. Uh, and I pulled I pulled my arms away. I thought, I'm in trouble here. And he's dragged his knee. It connected with my head. And uh, I remember it. I, I was a little bit dazed. And I remember the referee, Lee, Lee Mason, at the time, when he was on the floor, just crouched down and went, uh, when, when you get on your feet, I'm going to send you off. And I thought, brilliant. So I'm laid there, knowing we didn't have a keeper on the bench. So up, got sent off. Um, and our centre-back, Dave Morley, ended up going in, in, in there. And we got to beat 7-0, or 6-1, I think it was. And the son gave him a 10 out of 10 the next day in the paper. So all the lads stuck that on the dressing room wall, like, oh, outfield player, 10 out of 10. But that's football. It was a great experience at the time. And... Probably with the first time in my career where I actually thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. Like playing in front of that many people. And although it, it didn't turn out brilliant that day, it was a great experience and, and something I'm lucky to have probably had at that time. Happy at the moment though, if they concede another one here. Shevchenko just into the feet of Wright Phillips. He's done really well. And Shevchenko's in here. He's round the keeper. It has to be a penalty. Oh, oh it is a red card. We're just about ready. There's Lee Mason's whistle. Here's Frank Lampard. Oh, oh I tell you what, David Morley nearly got to that one. Do you keep in touch with Danny Whitaker now? Because obviously he's manager of a kind of a resurgent Macclesfield, isn't he? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm friends with Danny on, on Facebook. I've uh, probably not spoken to him for a while. But, I mean, we had a car school when, it, when he signed for Chesterfield. So there was me, Danny Whitaker. Mark Hallett, Danny Hall, Phil Pickin, Paul Arsley, Martin Gritton. Mm. And uh, I mean, they were some of my best times at Chesterfield with those guys and uh, the little bit of success we had with, under John Sheridan. Uh, so I'm, listen, I'm pleased for Danny Whitaker. It's not a, it's not, it's no surprise to me that he has gone down the management route because he was very talented as a player, but he knew the game as well. And you could see that uh, pretty much straight from the off. Mm. And then, 
we'll whiz back onto Chesterfield in a moment because there's obviously loads of Chesterfield. But uh, you had a little loan spell at Rochdale, didn't you? But that ended like in a in a playoff final, <laughs> which yeah. is bonkers because you joined there in like March, didn't you? And then ended up in the playoff final. Yeah, I brought my I brought my uh, I brought my hand playing for Macclesfield earlier on in the season, and I opted to have the operation, so I was out of the team, and then. Uh, Ian Brightwell got the sack. Or Paul Intermite left on uh, to MK Dons. And Keith Alexander came in and he he pretty much said, You're not part of my plans at the moment. Uh, so you're going to be on the bench. And uh, I got contacted by Keith Phil at the time, who knew uh, a friend of mine. And he said, I was out of the team, would I like to come? And Rochdale were near the top, so I joined in March, and I think we only lost one game. Uh, got into the playoffs, and then unfortunately got beaten final. But that was like such a such a unexpected um, but great opportunity for me to go there and play a few games, and, and ended up at Wembley. And then I got released by Maxwell at the end of that, which was I found quite strange at the time because I thought I'd done so well at, Mac- at Rochdale, and Keith Alexander run me and told me unfortunately not part of my plans and he did that on the eve of the player final which I thought was a bit strange um, but when I look back now it turned out it turned out quite well yeah fate kind of threw you in our direction I remember at the time I'll be completely honest I remember at the time thinking oh we've got a, a keeper on trial that was released from Macclesfield because <laughs> we were looking at the time was a, a a replacement for Barry Roach who had um, who had had a bit of unfair stick from the Chesterfield fans and had, had kind of quite rightly given it back um, and it ended up, up leaving. Then you came in on trial, didn't you? I came in on trial originally, I had two weeks. And at the end of the two weeks, uh, Lee Richardson sort of said, we've not really got any budget, can't really sign you. So that was it, fair enough, off I went. Um, and then maybe a week later, I got a phone call off, off Lee Richardson asking if I wanted to play in a game against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, he said the situation's the same we can't really sign you but it's an opportunity for you to, to have a game um, and I played quite well in the game um, made a couple of saves early on caught a couple of crosses and then I remember it clear as day the second half uh, I came flying out my goal for a through ball and I missed the ball completely and it, it was Sodji at the time his brother played for Burial uh, famously he used to wear the bandana yeah. And I remember I missed the ball completely and he's got a pretty much an open net at Saltergate. And I remember looking behind me and he put it over the bar. And I look back now and think, without question, if he'd have hit the back of the net, that would have been my short time at Chesterfield done. Like, absolutely done. Uh, but it, it, fortunately for me, he missed it. And I remember the Chesterfield fans singing during the game, Rico sign him up. So that sort of forced his hand a little bit. And I think through gritted teeth, he offered me a contract um, and I wanted in a position to turn it down. Yeah. So that's how my uh, Chesterfield journey started, I suppose. Yeah. Bournemouth's five-match unbeaten run bit the dust at Saltergate, where Jack Lester's 15th goal of the season clinched victory for Chesterfield. But not without a big scare. Jamie Lowry's mistake as the match moved into the final 20 minutes gave the Cherries a golden chance to salvage something. But Tommy Lee saved a penalty in the last home game 
and repeated the trick against Alan Connell. I've spoken to quite a few players from that era, uh, like Alan O'Hare, Jamie Winter, um, Aaron Downs, people like that. And it's interesting their thoughts on Lee Richardson because he seemed to kind of psychologically destroy a few players. (laughs) Other players seemed to quite like him and and some players seemed to be quite tormented by him in some way. Did you quite like him? What was your experience with him? I I quite liked him. I mean, I was young at the time. I was a young player and he he, he gave me a lifeline. So I'll be forever grateful to, to Lee Richardson for that. But he, he, he was massively into the psychological side of the game. Um, and I don't think, for me and for certain players, the bought into it, which I think is really important on that sort of, with that sort of stuff. Um, but if I remember rightly, his knowledge of the game was excellent. And um, I think he was probably a little bit unlucky with certain signings that didn't quite work out at the time. Um, but like I say, my opinion on Lee Richardson is I will be grateful forever for, for giving me that that little bit of a lifeline because I mean I was out of the game. I was I was googling jobs on the, at the post office. I was looking at university degrees that I might do. You know, I'd done quite well at Rochdale, got to a playoff final, and then there was no offers. So yeah, I'll be forever grateful for for him giving me that opportunity. Yeah. You're levelling it up kind of 50-50 now, so it's, it's, in, it's interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously that squad was, I mean, it, it's it's such a shame that in those two seasons, uh, uh, like like around then, it was kind of just missing out on the playoffs because the firepower up front was immense, obviously, with Leicester coming in and Jamie Ward and, and people like that. And um, you had the obvious combo, Niven Allett, uh, in midfield and some good good defense as well. What was the what was the missing thing that just that that just didn't get there? Yeah, it's a great question because we weren't far off. You, it's that intangible, I suppose, sometimes where you look at the squad and you think, well, why aren't we doing what we what we could potentially do? And I think I think the following season, and then obviously the season after the new season probably points to the manager a little bit in John Sheridan. He came in and he just did something a little bit different and maybe brought a togetherness that we hadn't had, um, which and obviously with a few a few additions to the, mm. to the squad you mentioned there. But I would say a little bit of luck as well. I think, I think Shez probably dropped on a group of players who were very good and the couple of players who we knew we needed to get rid of and he, and he replaced those players and then the feel-good factor around the new stadium. So I think that era at Saltergate, we weren't far off, but I think it just needed that little tweak in terms of a bit of togetherness and a little bit of fresh blood in there, if you like. And I think that's what Shez did brilliantly in his season at Saltergate where we just missed out again. But then in, in, the, in the new season at uh, the Pro Act. Yeah. And, and one key question I always ask anyone that was from Saltergate era, Chesterfield, is what your order was from Linda's sandwich shop. Well, I want King to be honest, and I know that's sacrilege around there, but a lot of us used to go for an omelette sandwich, which I just thought was bizarre. But uh, listen, 
she did all right from a lot of the lads at the bottom of the street. Um, but if I dare say it, I ain't too keen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in trouble now. You are. Crikey, if, yeah. I, if I ever get Linda on. Crikey. Yeah. <laughs> and a word as well for Kevin Austin. Um, like when we had Jamie Winter on, he spoke really well about, about the Kevin Austin. Sadly, passed yeah. away a few years ago, but like he was, he was great, wasn't he? He was proper, proper character in defence. Yeah, I mean, it obviously horrendous what happened to Kev, but I think he was, he was a massive part of that squad at the time, and we used to have, I'll whisper it, but we used to have a little bit of a drinking school, if you like, and one Tuesday a month we used to go out and. You know, we'd sit there with Kev and, and Downsy and, and uh, Dell, and uh, that was a massive part of the success we had. Um, and John Sheridan used to insist on us doing that. Um, and without that, I mean, Kev was a lot older than me. Paige was a lot older than me. Without having that, I would have never felt comfortable around those guys. And a lot of the younger players wouldn't, but because we had that maybe a couple of Tuesdays every month or, or one every two months, we'd go out and we'd have a drink and it just, it fostered that togetherness where I felt comfortable with Robert Page, who I'd watched in the Premier League and, and Kev Austin, who was probably 10 years older than me. It just created a, like a togetherness amongst the squad and I think that showed going forward as we moved to the new stadium that uh, we were a good team, there were a lot of talent, but we'd fight for each other and that was a massive part of that and Kev was a massive part of that as well. And, and that first season as well, I mean, it, it was, I think you were like young player of the season or something that year, but you had a, you had a bit of a incident, didn't you, near the start when you broke your jaw? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you probably know what I want to ask, but there's, there's always been the rumour. <laughs> there, there was always the rumour that they said it, it was Phil Picken, but you were really good, like, he was at your testimonial and I, I don't know. We we have laughed about that. <laughs> I all I'll say is, he might have been the reason I broke my jaw, but he didn't break my jaw, if that makes any sense. I see. So, that, so there's, there's some, some truth and rumour somewhere. That's fine. We can leave it there. From what I can remember. But, <laughs> listen, oh, Phil, <laughs> Phil Picking didn't break my jaw. Me and Phil go back to his Man United days. I'm still great friends with him now. Um, but, yeah, we, we might have got ourselves in a little situation and <laughs> I paid the price. But, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for, thanks for shedding some light on that. It's, it's, uh, yeah. It was when you had your testimonial, everyone was like, oh, Phil, Pickett, uh, Phil Pickens there. So, so that's, uh, everyone was quite pleased, I think, when they saw you yeah. there. And, yeah, I mean, just, I'm curious to know where that rumour ever came from, actually, because uh, any, anyone you'd speak to, need, like, me and Phil, great mates, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you're at the car school, aren't you? So you're, you're, yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and then you had the you had the comeback, comeback game in the Droylsden part three, I think it was. Yeah. I mean, that, that was crackers. That was the match that the floodlights were turned off, wasn't it, when we were winning? Yeah, 2-0 up, um, 70 minutes. So obviously the first game called off because of fog, half time. Second game, uh, Jack chipped the keeper when he was meant to be passing the ball back to the keeper when drawing. 
third game where two nil up, uh, lights go out, and it's almost like we knew it was going to happen. Um, and then fourth game we get beat two nil, and then the player who scored both goals was in an eligible place, so we ended up going through. But that was a, I mean, it was almost funny at the end hmm. between the lads all playing draws in again. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a that was an epic. I always talk to anyone that I speak to from that season just because it was so strange. And like Dave Pace, who was like their manager and owner, and I'm surprised he wasn't playing as well. It's really interesting when we've had players that have played at the last game at Saltgate and the first game at what was then B2 Net. Yeah, the B2 Net, yeah. Yeah, what, what was that like? What was that difference like going from one to the other? It must have been, must have been crazy. Yeah, I mean, I remember the last game. I thought the last game was probably the first time in my two years at Chester where I realised actually this is quite a big football club. Um, and there was a lot of passion for the place, which was there uh, when in previous games, but it wasn't in the numbers we saw in the last game. And, and that was my own realisation of actually this is this is a big football club, um, relatively speaking. And... I remember after the last game of that season, uh, John Sheridan sat us down and said, listen, we need to deliver next season because there's been big investment. We're moving to a new a new stadium and um, there's some pressure on you lads now to deliver for these fans. And if you deliver from the first game, this stadium will be full. And it turned out to be that case. I mean, I think we had seven, 8,000 every week at home and you know we had the players... Um, to entertain and, and we had we had a in terms of attacking football that was probably the best Chesterfield team I played in, played in you know Craig Davis Jack Lester um, Dean Smalley Danny Whitaker I think he got 13 goals in, in the first uh, game at the in the first season at the B2 net so he was right you know we, we put on some good performances and we were supported unbelievably well in that first season and and going forward that's at the stadium yeah and, and as a goalkeeper in that promotion winning season obviously we had two fullbacks in in like Scott Griffiths Jack Hunt who were just forward all the time you had yeah. Dwayne Mattis who had been kind of put into defense it was kind of a midfielder in defense so it was it was a very attacking team wasn't it right right from the back is that yeah. kind of what you like as a goalkeeper, a team that's got the ball and is up, up the pitch away from you? I just I, I just enjoyed winning games. And uh, that that season, I think after maybe 10 or 11 games, we just had that feeling in the squad that whoever we played, we were going to win. And that's a rare feeling in football. And it's probably happened to me only twice in my career, Paul Cook and uh, the John Sheridan team. And that was... For me, I, listen, we used to win 3-2, 4-2, 5-1. We, we drew 5 all with crew. And um, for me, it did. I think I, I kept probably 13 clean sheets that season. But, I, I mean, I wasn't bothered. I wanted, I wanted a trophy. I wanted to get promotion. And we had the attacking firepower to, to just blow teams out of the water. But we, we, we won some important games that season as well where we did knuckle down. I think we beat Stevenage at home 1-0. Uh, we beat Gillingham away 2-0 and we had some really good defensive displays as well in such an attacking team 
Yet more Derbyshire drama. No repeat of last week's ten-goal feast, but the B2 Nets' biggest crowd of the season still got their money's worth. And when Jack Lester went down, Danny Whitaker scored from the spot for the fourth time this season to give Chesterfield the lead. Hard on Southend, whose performance was described as fantastic by manager Paul Sturrock. Their efforts were rewarded nine minutes before the break when Anthony Grant placed home their equaliser. The first-half dominance continued into the second. Louis Sauls denied by the post and then by Spyrite's keeper Tommy Lee. Josh Simpson also failed when it mattered. But a nailed-on point soon turned to nothing when three minutes into stoppage time, super sub Scott Bowden rammed in Chesterfield's winner to put the Spyrites within a point of top spot. And in both that Sheridan and Cook teams, you played every game, didn't you, of the, of the championship winning seasons, both those seasons, and got in the PFA team, I think, in both those seasons as well. So it, it kind of shows you how important a good goalkeeper is it's like that last line of defence in, in, yeah. in yeah. yeah, I mean, listen, there's a lot of luck involved in that as well. But um, I made a, a personal decision quite early on in, in my career that any opportunity to play a game I'm going to play. So I used to play in all the, the JPT games when I was fit. I wanted to play in all the cup games. If shares or Paul Cook give me the opportunity to maybe have a little breather. I didn't want it because I wanted to play every game. Um, and I think when, you, when you're when doing okay, especially as a goalkeeper, you know, you just keep that train rolling. You know, you want to play constantly because physically it's not as demanding as the outfield positions. And I always felt I don't want to give anyone else an opportunity. Mm. You know, I got to a point where I thought, well, that's my shirt now and I'm not going to let anyone else take that away from me if I've got a choice. So that, that was sort of a, a decision I made. And, you know, to, to get in the PFA teams of the year is probably, in terms of personal achievements, the best because that's voted for by the people you play against. So I always, you know, I've got the, I've got the two trophies there on, on the cabinet in the side in there. And I always, when I walk past, I think now and again, I'll have a look and think, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. And, and was there any, obviously, whenever you ended up getting those accolades like that, the first thing the fans do is worry that you're going to leave. Um, and, yeah. and there was like, th throughout the time, there was, there was kind of you and, and Jack Lester and a few others where you'd kind of get to the transfer window open and you think, oh, no, they might go somewhere else. Was there any, ever any, any chance or likelihood of that happening? Or were, were you quite happy that you were playing and in a successful team and a place you were settled? Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to play high, as high a level as possible, but I never had an agent in my professional career. Um, that were a decision I made. And so there was no one other than people saying, oh, Tommy's doing well at Chesterfield. There was no one actively going to clubs and saying his contract's up at the end of the season or, or he's only got a year left in his contract or would you take him? And so, I, so in, in a sense... I was happy to sign contracts at Chesterfield because I loved the place. I was playing football every week. Um, financially, I, was, I believe I was paid what I deserved. So I was never thinking, oh, I want to earn more money. Mm. Uh, but I always played under the expectation that if I am good enough to play in the Championship or the Premier League, someone will come and buy me anyway. Now, that might be naive. Um, but when I look back, I've got no regrets about signing the contracts at Chesterfield because... 
that's where I achieved uh, more than I could have hoped for when I left Man United and I got released by Macclesfield. So as far as concrete um, uh, chances to leave, you'd have to ask the club or the people in charge at the time. No one ever contacted me and I had no real desire to knock on the manager's door and say, I want to leave. I, I just wanted to play football and I think playing football at a place where uh, you're appreciated is a wonderful thing and I'm fortunate enough to have had that for a few years at Chesterfield. Yeah, and it must be really nice to stay somewhere for so long that you do get that kind of legendary status and you're kind of there in the history books. It's, it must be really nice. You can travel around, you could do 20 different clubs, couldn't you, and, and not really be remembered anywhere but but you'll obviously have that iconic space at Chesterfield which is lovely isn't it? yeah it is lovely and that that was never the the plan um but now to reflect back and think yeah that is a nice thing and I could have listen I could have I could have gone to Burnley and sat on a bench in the championship and earned a little bit more money and played 10 games and I could have gone to a hull and done the same and my career might have taken a different path but I can look back on the games that I did play and it, I probably played a full career. I retired early, unfortunately, through injury, but I played over 400 games in my career. Now, if I'd have left Chesterfield and sat on a bench and, yeah, I might have had a Range Rover sat on the drive and my house might be a little bit bigger, but I played at Wembley twice. Uh, I've got two league winning medals. You know, I've, I've got some brilliant memories from my time at Chesterfield and, you know, it might not pay the, pay the bills, but, it's quite nice to reflect back and think, do you know what? That I'm I'm proud of what we achieved at Chesterfield, and you know, not many players can look back on the career and say that. So I'm fortunate in that sense. And and you mentioned like the Wembley. You obviously had the uh, JPT final in what 2012, um, which was a which was a fun day out, and um, and it was a bit of a, I mean, it was a bit of a rubbish season in many ways. We and I've spoken to players before from that season where they said, oh, we kind of went into that new season, not players left like Craig Davis and, and Dean Small, who didn't really strengthen. And, and kind of, I think you got injured that season, didn't you, against Berry, um, And it was just kind of a, a bit of bad luck, maybe, and a, a bit of wrong decisions from up at the top level, maybe. But we came out of that with a Wembley win, which was nice. Yeah, and it, absolutely. It was a poor season. Uh ended up in relegation and that took the shine off the the Wembley win at the time a little bit but now when I look back probably one of my proudest achievements at Chesterfield playing at Wembley winning at Wembley keeping the clean sheet at Wembley um, and and now again I look back and yeah the relegation was disappointing but we got promoted again two seasons later so you know in the grand scheme of things it worked out quite well and to win at Wembley, albeit in a lower tier competition, if you like, um, it's still something now. I think, wow, that was some day out. And I've spoken to lots of players that talk about everything seeming bigger at Wembley. Almost like pitch seems bigger and saps the energy out of you. As a goalkeeper, do the, do the nets feel bigger or anything like that? Well, yeah, they do, because... Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the netting goes back quite a long way. Um, and I, I obviously I played there in in the playoff final uh, for 
Rochdale. And that was the first thing I noticed was, wow, yeah, these nets do seem quite big. And that game for uh, Rochdale taught me so much because I never thought I'd get back. And I felt like I let that day pass me by a little bit. Mm. I was I was wrapped up in not making a mistake. And um, oh, don't be the one who costs us getting into the, the league up. And I remember after that game, sitting down and thinking, you didn't do yourself justice there today. You didn't enjoy the day. You got caught up in it. So I, I, made, I made a decision at the time that if I ever get back there, I'm just going to enjoy myself because it might never come around. And I remember that. I remember going out on the pitch and the warm-up and the Chester fans clapping me and I just felt like, do you know what? I'm just going to enjoy myself today and whatever happens, happens. And it just frees you up. And I, I, I didn't have much to do in the game, but I felt so confident in what I had to do. And uh, again, a massive lesson in my career of sometimes you've just got to understand that it's just entertainment. Yeah. At the end of the day, you just try to entertain people. That's all football is. And we can get caught up in it being more than it is. And I understand people's jobs are at stake and et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, people want to be entertained. And from that game... And then from then on in my career, that's what I just tried to do every time I went on the football pitch. Just enjoy yourself. Because if you enjoy yourself, chances are you're going to do, you're going to perform better. Chances are the team's going to perform better. Chances are the fans are going to enjoy it more. Mm. Uh, so again, although the Wembley win was fantastic, that was another good lesson for me in my career of how to approach big games and how to approach my career. Did you find yourself saying that to other players before that match as well? Yeah, definitely. Especially the young lads. Enjoy it. Don't, do not let it pass you by. Whatever happens is going to happen. Prepare, do everything you need to do, but make sure you're taking what's around you because it might never happen again. And I think I think defensively, especially that day, I thought uh, Simon Ford was unbelievable. Uh, Drew Talbot was fantastic. Nathan Smith, uh, Josh Thompson at the back. Probably the best defensive display from a Chesterfield team I've I mean I'm probably biased a little bit but that I've been involved in I think they didn't create much and they were flying high in league two De Canio and we just nullified them completely and I think and we got the goals which was which was nice yeah and you made a really good save in that match as well <laughs> allegedly yeah allegedly <laughs> I think I didn't just touch it onto the crossbar yeah do you, do you have kind of because I know goal scorers have favourite goals and things like that do you have do you have favourite saves that you've Kind of think back on your career? Yeah, there's one or two uh, that I look back on and think, yeah, that was a good save. I made one at Brentford probably in my first season. Um, I tipped it over the bar. And listen, it wasn't a big game. It was early on in the season. But you always know when you made a good save when the opposition uh, striker or player comes up to you and says, that was a good save, wasn't it? So there's, there's a few. I think I made one... Um, I made one at Wickham away, where top hand over the crossbar. So yeah, you remember little ones. I made one at Bradford, and um, but it, I suppose uh, the one that sticks out the most for me was probably away at Gillingham uh, in the season we played. Uh, we won the league under John Sheridan, and it was a rainy Tuesday night. We'd gone down there, and it was from uh, Akifemwa in the second half and the ball's brought to him I've come out and spread myself and it's hit me on the chest and bounced away and I think it was so important at the time because if we'd have drawn that game 1-1 you never know how it might have gone but I made that save and then we won 2-0 and then 
you know, the wheels keep turning. And, you know, that, that's one thing I say to the lads I coach now is, you know, the best keepers have got the ability to make saves in, in those moments where it, it matters. So, yeah, yeah, there's a few I remember. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I could talk all night about saves. If you, if you want to talk, I can talk all night about saves. Yeah, there's a few more then. Um, and are, there, are there any certain types of saves that you liked doing best? So, liked most, like tipping it round the bar or over the crossbar. Is that something that you kind of like? Yeah. I always felt my biggest strength as a goalkeeper was one v one situations. I felt like I, I that was where where I excelled, and I always liked those saves because uh, no one expects to keep it save it, and I think that gets the best reaction from the crowd when the strikers clean through. Oh no, he's going to score, and then you end up making a save, and it's like oh. Oh, we're still in the game sort of thing. So I always like making those those types of saves. Yeah. Yeah. The bad thing is if you're a goalkeeper is you don't get to like wheel away and celebrate in front of the fans, do you? And you do something like that, like a strike. No, unfortunately not. Uh, but, you know, the, the feeling's still the same. You know, I speak to goal scorers and, and when they describe that feeling, it's exactly the same for a goalkeeper, especially when it's in, in one of those guilt edge moments, if you like, where you might be winning one nil the way from home the last 10 minutes and you make that save and then after the game, you know, the manager through gritted teeth might say, yeah, good save. You know, I'll whisper it, but yeah, he kept sitting it there. Or the players, will, will, your teammates will say, oh yeah, that was a good save, Tommy. And and they're the moments uh, where I think, yeah, you look back and I think, yeah, yeah, but I enjoyed that. And and like you mentioned Paul Cook, so um, I think it was Drew Talbot that was saying he probably had a bit more fun under John Sheridan and Paul Cook was a bit more demanding. Was the, was the differences in both seasons that that when the Paul Cook season happened, it was, you know, how did it differ from that Sheridan one? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, I think Paul Cook had to be like that. I think he had to come into a club that was in transition and he needed to stamp his authority on the place and he did that. And I think he did it brilliantly throughout the club from top to bottom. I think he's probably the, he's managed up better than I've ever seen at a football club. Um, he, brought in players at the time you're thinking what's he doing bringing this fella in Rich Humphreys is an example and you know he won't mind me saying that we signed Rich Humphreys probably mid to late 30s and you're thinking what where, where's he going with this and the reason he brought Rich in was as an example of what a good pro looked like for the younger players and um what Paul Cook did in, in that season with Richie he played the third most amount of games in that season but also he would make the younger players shadow Richie. So Richie would come in early, be the first thing, be in the gym. The younger players had to come in when Richie came in. They'd go in the gym with Richie. So he got that balance unbelievable. And that was probably a genius bit of recruitment. Because at the time, you know, Rich Humphreys, 30, whatever he is, how's he going to help us do anything? And he was unbelievable on the pitch. But I think his, his impact off the pitch as well for the younger players was was frightening and that was the genius of Paul Cook if you like his recruitment was unbelievable and the way he treats certain players as well mm. was top draw and it was probably the first time I'd seen it in my career where Gary Roberts would get told to don't want to see you till Thursday Gary don't want to see you because he knew Monday, Tuesday he liked a little bit of a moan up and oh, I'm tight my hamstrings are tight blah 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 but he knew come Saturday Gary Roberts would win you the game and he managed that situa situation perfectly. Ian Everett didn't train until Thursday because he knew he didn't need to. Keep him out of the way. 
he knows the game inside out. Wheel him out Thursday, wheel him out Friday. He'll be a mountain for me on the pitch on Saturday, and that proved to be the case. So, yeah, I think very similar in terms of man management, but Paul Cook had to be that little bit more authoritarian, if you like, because the team was in transition, the club had got a little bit fluffy, if you like. Um, and both managers equally brilliant in those seasons, but for different reasons. Yeah. And and like I say, you, you played all, all the games in that in that uh, title winning season again. Were there any games that stuck out from that season? Um good question. Probably put um, it in the spot. <laughs> it's been quite a yeah, while. <laughs> I think obviously the Fleetwood game, uh, last game of the season to win the league, the Burton game away. Burton game away was like we we executed what the manager wanted us to do to a T in a big pressure game. And again, Rich Humphrey played a massive part. Jay O'Shea played a part. Owen Doyle, uh, Liam Cooper got injured early. Sam Erd came on and was unbelievable. Ian Everett, Tendai Dariqua. So I look back at that Burton game again. Pressure game. Uh, South ended drawn with, might have been Fleetwood at the time. So we knew if we won that game, we'd, we'd get promoted. And you know, the manager knew what we needed to do. I think Burton ended up in the playoffs. So they were a good team and we just went there and dominated for 90 minutes and, you know, 2 nil could have been more. Uh, so, the, yeah, those games, those games stand out and, you know, there's probably one or two more that have, have slipped to mind at the minute, but, uh, yeah, the Burton game, the Fleetwood game, unbelievable. Yeah, so much fun. Pass in from Gardner. It's a yellow shirt that meets it, but then Weir gets himself in problems. Humphrey finds O'Shea! And Jay O'Shea finds the back of the net, and Chesterfield have lift off. The season after, when we ended up in the playoffs uh, in League One, um, it was kind of a bit of a surprise, really. And I was talking to Sam Morsey, and he was saying that um, maybe the, the board had let down Paul Cook a bit in some place that he maybe wanted to sign for that League One season. So it was a real achievement, wasn't it? Just to well, to get in playoffs in, in League One is bonkers. Yeah, I mean, we were a striker away from the Championship without question. Everywhere else on the pitch, we were good, very good. I think we probably had the best midfield in the league that season, barring maybe Bristol, uh, Bristol City. But you look at Sammy Morsey, Jimmy Ryan, top class. Like, unbelievable partnership uh, those two had. And we lost Owen Doyle early on in the season. I think if we'd have replaced... So, obviously, we got beat by Preston in the playoffs. You know, Jermaine Beckford would have got us to the championship without question. And that's probably a little bit of a disappointment because we weren't far off. And it would be interesting to see where the club is now if we just had that little bit of investment and we needed it. And uh, I honestly believe a striker, uh, Leon Clark, for instance, or someone of that ilk would have, would have got us to where we wanted to get to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it'd, it'd have been interesting, wouldn't it, if they'd have kept that squad together and if Paul Cook had remained that season after. I mean, there's, I, I think I remember right, the season after, it didn't really seem like a particularly strong League One the, the season after. And you kind of thought we could have gone up as champions in League One if they'd have just kept the team together and made a few additions. Is that kind of what the, what the players kind of thought as well? Yeah, but I think as soon as you lose Sam Fluker, Tendai Dariqua... Uh, I think Sammy stayed for another season. Jimmy Ryan, I think, went. Yeah. Uh, 
at the club you start to feel like mm, they're massive parts of what we've achieved and um, although we did sign some decent players after that it was you just knew that nucleus had gone and I think Dean Saunders tried his best to keep those players um, but again I don't think there was that much desire from the club to to, to back that which is which is a shame um, and I suppose that's where the decline started. Yeah. And I wanted, because you missed the, was it the second leg of the playoffs against Preston? Yeah. Um, and like um, Murphy played, didn't he? I think it was his first game for like two years or something um, yeah. when he played. And you've played with, obviously had a lot of goalkeepers that you've uh, been at Chesterfield with over the years. I wondered if if any kind of stuck out as, as being the people that pushed you most during your time? I'm guessing like Rich O'Donnell was probably... Yeah, I mean, they all did. They all did. I mean, Rich O'Donnell's distribution was unbelievable. It was miles better than mine when he came to the club. So I, I that changed the way I approached uh, distributing the ball. I very rarely did any extras. But when Rich came in, I thought, well, like, he's quite good at that, so I need to get better. So I used to come in on my day off and try and improve my kicking, which I think it did. But Alex Cairns was a very good young keeper. Um, but the one who probably pushed me the most um, and sort of reignited that fire of I need to get better was probably Aaron Chapman. Because um, Chappie was new to new to goalkeeping. He came into the club, but I mean, on his day, he was unbelievable. I mean, in training, he makes saves that I couldn't make just purely because of his size and his athleticism. So he was probably the one who... He probably hadn't gone on to do what I believed he could have done in the game, but he was probably the one that made me start taking SNC seriously and and improving my spring and becoming more explosive and um, just because I I didn't want to let him get anywhere near that first team. Uh, so yeah, I'm slightly disappointed that Chappie hadn't gone on to do what I think he probably could have done in the game. Yeah, definitely have massive potential and. Um, and Mark Crossley as well. Like he, he came in, didn't he? Um, uh, was that when we were still at Saltergate? He came in, wasn't it? Um, and he, did he? Because he ended up being the kind of number two for you, didn't he? For a, a season. He played the first game. Yeah, he, he played the first game at Torquay away. Uh, I think I had a bit of a sticky pre-season, and um, uh, the manager played Mark in the first game, and then I played the rest of the game. But Norm was. Brilliant for me because it was probably the first um, coach I'd had who understood how to get the best out of me. And straight from word go, I could see that that that's all he wanted to do. You know, there was no, or at least I couldn't tell, there was, there was no ulterior motive. It was just he wanted to make me better. So we started watching clips back, which I'd never done before, and started working on specific things in training to try and make me better and straight away I responded to that uh, whether he did that on purpose or that's just the coach he was whatever he did for me worked so I, I started to improve which uh, and I started to, I started to um, respect other people's opinions you know Mark Crossley say penalties plays for Forest had an unbelievable career but he approached me in, in a way that I responded to. So it, it was it was unbelievable for me. Yeah. 
and and I know it's like goalkeepers union and everything, but a word for Ole Soderberg, he, he had a he had a torrid time. Bless him. I felt really sorry for him when he came in because it just really didn't go for him, did it? When he came in, yeah. And no, obviously, I was injured at the time, and I remember having a discussion with uh, Norm at the time. He said, "Oh, we've got a, we've got a lad from Newcastle coming in. He's six foot six, and they love him. And yeah, I think he's going to be all right." And I remember after his first training session, I was in the treatment room and Norm just came in and he started giving me that look like, could be in trouble here. <laughs> and, it, and it turned out that way, uh, unfortunately. But I think he went on to do all right. I think he played in, in Norway and uh, did what he did. Uh, but I always felt, not, not in a patronising way, but I think by that stage, I'd play quite a few seasons. I had a little bit of success and... I think it was always going to be a challenge for any goalkeeper to come in in the short term and even in the long term because I was judged to a different standard that the new goalkeepers were judged at. I could get away with a little bit because I built up a little bit of capital. Soon as Rich O'Donnell came in, as soon as he conceded a goal, you could hear the murmurs in the crowd and Greg Fleming as well, as soon as he conceded a goal. and I think it was really difficult, as it is for all goalkeepers at clubs where there's been a long-standing number one, to come in and perform because it is you, you judge to a different standard. Yeah, I think there's probably still little echoes of that now. Probably it's probably still wearing off, even still. Yeah, and I think as well we're all guilty of looking through rose-tinted glasses. Mm. Uh, that the the past was better than the future, and uh, oh, Tommy never did this, and of course I did. I made as many mistakes as any goalkeeper, but I just built up a little bit of capital because we had a little bit of success. Um, and I think it's the same with a lot of goalkeepers. They need games. They need to play 20, 30 games and then you can you can make a fair assessment of, of the qualities and, and whether they're good enough. So, so we're getting to kind of tail end of your career now. So, it, so Paul Cook kind of left and um, it was always going to be difficult for anyone that kind of came in afterwards. And, um, and we had kind of Dean Saunders and Danny Wilson and, and a few other other bosses there was a big I've always been interested to ask you actually because I think in that 15-16 season I think you played pretty much every game that season yeah. I mean, virtually um, and there was that last home game against Bury. did that playing in that match kind of shorten your career a bit because did something did you get kind of an injury or play through injury that match well, I, I got injured in that game so it, that's when I did my shoulder uh, Initially, so I came for a cross in the last minute, collided with Peter Clark. Uh, innocuous, felt no pain at the time. Uh, went to take the dead ball, and I, as I've uh, struck the ball and, and swung my arm, my shoulder just dropped out of its socket. So obviously, I'd caused an injury in, in the collision, but there was still no pain. So after the game, I spoke to the, uh, the physio and the doctor, and they did some tests and says, Yeah, you've got a little bit of uh, lacticity in there, if you like, a bit of looseness. We'll send you for a scan. So I went for a scan and the scan said, yeah, you've torn a little bit of the, the labrum, which is the cartilage that keeps the, the head of the shoulder in place. But it's it's minor. Um, and obviously I wanted to play every game, which was pretty naive when I look back. Uh, so, and we had Bradford in the last game of the season and the doctor said, listen, you're not going to make it any worse. It's up to you. So I played the game. All right. Like, didn't really feel any pain. It was a little bit sore in the evening and whatnot. Um, Because I had a similar injury in my right shoulder. I tore the labrum in my right shoulder as well, but that was fine. 
because I had loads of strength. Yeah, so after the season, uh, spoke to the specialist again and he said, listen, I can operate uh, or you can do a six-week rehab protocol in the gym and try and strengthen it. So I chose the, the, the rehab in the summer, uh, loads of weights and followed the protocol. But I still, I still had this feeling that when my arm went in a certain position, it was going to fall out of its socket. And because my right shoulder was knackered anyway, I thought, well, I can't really have two knackered shoulders. I'll just get this one fixed. Um, and it turns out the damage was a lot worse than the scan showed. And uh, after the initial operation, I got an infection in there, which nobody knew about. It, was, it wasn't getting any better. It was stiff and I got a second opinion and uh, I ended up having four operations, but ultimately the infection and the initial operation had caused too much damage for me to get back to where I needed to get to. Yeah. How are they now? Do you still have problems? Yeah, they're not great. Yeah, they're not great. Um, they're manageable. I mean, the next the next procedure will be a replacement at some point, but, I mean, listen, it is what it is. It's not... It's At the minute, it's not uh, something I can't deal with. Uh, but, yeah, they're not great. Yeah. It's kind of a, a common thing. Spoke to Andy Morris, who said he struggles to walk upstairs sometimes, and, and other players. It's, it's kind of common, isn't it? Do do you as as kind of ex ex players kind of talk to each other about things like that and, and support each other through things like that? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Especially uh, you know, obviously I'm at Sheffield United now, and you know Derek Gear is uh, the 18s coach, and obviously Jack's the academy manager, and you know Dell struggles with his knee. Um, Jack struggled with his knees. Uh, but I think almost across the board, you know, it's a small price to pay, I think, for the experiences that I had and um, where it's allowed me to go in my life. Now, it shouldn't happen. Uh, it shouldn't It shouldn't be the case, but at the minute, that's, that's the nature of the beast. And, you know, part of the blame lies with me. I could have handled those injuries a little bit better and maybe tailored my training a little bit. And I think some of the coaching staff could have helped me do that. But football's moved on, even in the time I've since I've finished to now. And, you know, player care is a lot better. Players are a lot more aware of the bodies. And, you know, uh, it's almost a strength now to say to a physio, I might be injured rather 10 years ago. You didn't go to the physio. Yeah. Unless like it was seen as a weakness to say you're a bit tight or my shoulder's not right. But I think now the game's changing. Um, and hopefully in, in another 10 years, players won't be suffering from these issues. But again, it's a small, in my opinion, it's a small price I've had to pay for, for the career I've had. And that last game you played, I think it was Carlisle, I think. Um, yeah. And I think you you kind of retired a couple of weeks after that game because you'd missed the... Um, 16, 17 season and then um, obviously it, there was Drew Talbot that came back at that time and, and and you were there and it was it was kind of a rescue mission to try and keep us in the football league really wasn't it but did you kind of realise after that Carlisle game that that, that was it for you? Oh, I'd realised six months before that I was finished I was out, I was out for 18 months before I played uh, played another game I think it was and I remember after about 10 months after the surgeon had done the fourth operation, he pretty much said, listen, this is it. 
it is not getting any better. Uh, the pain, I can cope with pain. I pain, played with pain all my career. Uh, fractured wrist. I was the pain wasn't a problem. It was the the lack of range of motion in in my shoulder. Not being able to get my arm into the positions I needed to go into to to perform, um, and the effect that had on my performance overall. And then also as the kicker, the pain. So it wasn't just oh it's painful, but I can still do my job. It was painful and I can't do my job. So uh, I remember the start of that season, Gary Caldwell said, uh, I, uh, and I'll just give it the old, yeah, yeah I'm going to be fine. Another, another month, another month would go by. Got to a point where we were struggling and he said, he said, listen, Tommy, I need you to play. And I sat in his office and said, I'm going to retire. And, and, he, and he said, can you not just give it a go for me? So I did. And I, the first game we drew, we, I kept a clean sheet with Port, Port Vale 2-0. And, all the way through that game, I'm, I'm in the goal thinking, if anyone shoots to my left-hand side here to go, I can't dive to my left. I can't stretch my arm out. Got away with it in that game. Played the next couple of games. Got away with it. And we played Newport County away and I think we got beat five. And I know for a fact, three of the goals I would have saved if I'd have been fit, if I could get my arm where I needed to get to. Then we played Crew, got beat four or five and I knew two of the goals I would have saved. Uh, and that was the point where I thought, yeah, I'm finished. I just need to tell the manager. But then Gary Colwell got the sack and Jack came in. So obviously Jack's my friend and he said the same to me. I went, can you just get out on the pitch for me? So I was like, oh, right, yeah, I'll give it a go for you. Again, Carl, Lincoln, I conceded a goal. I would have saved. And then the Carlisle, their equaliser in the last minute down to my left-hand side from like 35 yards I should have just dropped my cap on it, but I couldn't get my arm out. So it went in and it was after that game. I, I made the, I made the decision in my mind already, but that's when I told Jack, I said, listen, I'm sorry, mate, but I can't do it anymore. I can't do what I need to be able to do to perform. And um, the pain on top of that, training every day, not being able to sleep at night, it's just not worth it anymore. And, and Jack at the time was brilliant. He was like, I understand completely. Um, whatever we can do will we'll help you and the club were fantastic with me I'll go on record and saying that the club did everything they could have done to make that transition as easy as possible and I'm forever grateful for that It sounds like mentally it must have been a horrid time you must have just wanted to wanted yeah. to not even going to training must have just been Yeah the realisation after about 10 months that I'm finished that was a difficult time hmm. Making the decision and telling someone was the easy part because I knew I'd, I'd agonised over it for four months. I knew I was making the right decision. I tried everything I could possibly do to get back to some sort of level, but I was I was fifty percent of the goalkeeper I was because I couldn't do anything to my left hand side, uh, pretty much. So, yeah, the difficult time was after about ten months when I knew that was it. I kept doing what I could do and seeing specialists and having procedures and following the protocols in the gym and trying to trying to get somewhere. But ultimately, the decision was easy, but getting to the decision was a hard bit. Well, on, the, on a lighter note, you had testimonial, which is quite fun. Yeah. You played about, what, six minutes of it or something like that? I played six minutes, yeah, yeah. But that, again, when I look back, 
forever grateful for the club allowing me to have that and you know say bye to the fans properly if you like and giving my family the day out and uh, I look back on that day and think what 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 a great way to end a career that is uh, and I, listen I've got no regrets I played I played more games than the average professional footballer plays again personal accolades and league titles and shared some amazing times with the Chesterfield fans and you know it finished probably ten years earlier than it might have done but. Again, that's the price you pay, I suppose. Two league titles, uh, final win. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's probably one of the most decorated players we've had, certainly in uh, certainly in recent years. Anyway, so now, so now you're on a career in coaching. So I think you had a spell at Wednesday, didn't you? And then you've ended up at United. Yeah, I was at Wednesday for probably eighteen months. I left just as the pandemic started, and it, it wasn't something when I played it. If you'd have asked me, do you want to be a coach? I'd said, nah, not for me not for me but after retiring I had a year where I didn't do much and um, spoke to Jack quite a lot and Matt Duke who's now at Sheffield United he, and he just said to me well why don't you come down and do the kids in the evening at Sheffield United so I did and I quite enjoyed it and that's when Wednesday um, they, the job for Head Academy goalkeeping came up and I interviewed and I got the job and and then I started to develop a passion for it Uh Different, different sort of passion than, than playing the game, but I think to have a, a job that you've got a passion for, I think you, you're so fortunate. And to not pursue that and explore it would have been would have been a, a real shame. So you know, I'm I'm at Sheffield United now, and I've been there a year and a half, and you know, I love it. It's a real football environment and you know developing players and Jack's passion for developing players is unbelievable and you know that rubs off on you and um, it is probably the next best thing yeah and when I spoke to Sam Marcy he said that he would say that you and Jack Lester were the two jokers in the squad but you both had a very different type of humour he said <laughs> I suppose you can't be like that nowadays can you now that you're <laughs> now that you're the yeah. Not, not, not in front of the players. Not in front of the players. I'd be interested to know what sort of humour Marzi thinks I've got, actually. That'd yeah. be, be what would you say? What, what's Jack's humour like? And then we'll, we'll just think what the opposite is. I just remember, I just used to, I just used to hammer Jack for his gear. And I think the lads quite enjoyed that with him being a senior member of the squad and, uh, and whatnot. But I think, yeah, even that squad, we, there was a great, uh, camaraderie between the players and the togetherness and you know we weren't all friends which can be a misconception but there was a respect as well I think mm. um, Sammy Morsey and Jimmy would probably admit they weren't best of mates but on the pitch they would do anything to protect each other and I think that shows in the performances they put together so yeah we had a laugh of course we did but I think we had that togetherness as well and uh yeah, I used to give Jack a bit of stick. I won't lie. <laughs> so we've, we've come to the end. So you've spent, what, ages at Chesterfield from, what, 2008 to 2018, uh, 17, 18. So, I mean, is there anything that is like top of the tree of your time at Chesterfield or is there just too much to to rank it in order? Uh, I, I get asked all the time by... Uh, Chesterfield fans and you know the Wembley win obviously and the league titles but I think the overriding 
feeling from me is like the support I got was when I look back now it was unbelievable. You know, just walk out on the pitch and the fans singing your name and um even when I chucked a few in, especially early on I got a bit of stick, don't get me wrong, but later on, you know, I could feel that support and I could feel how the fans appreciated the performances and overall that that's a nice thing to look back on. Yeah. And and we did not know what to do when you cut your hair. <laughs> yeah. That that was a massive shock. That was down to an injury as well. Uh, I dislocated my collarbone in the JPT, I think it was, against, might have been Oldham. So I had this long, beautiful brown hair, but my arm, my right arm was in a sling for 12 weeks, so I couldn't do anything with it, so I had to go get it cut. So that's that's why I got the hair cut, unfortunately. <laughs> Great. Well, on behalf of all Chesterfield fans, thanks very much for... Um for all those saves and, and everything over the years. It was, I mean, it was amazing during those times when we had you at one end of the pitch and Jack at the other, you, you couldn't go wrong, really. Yeah, we, we did all right. And I appreciate it. Uh, listen, uh, I, I will always thank the Chesterfield fans and, and the club for everything they did for me in, in my career. And I think overall, I think we did all right. 